Hey guys, good morning, good morning. How we doing? Yeah. Good, good to see you. I'm so glad you guys laughed at that last little shot of me getting thrown out of the van. Here's why. It kind of sort of made it worth it, but not even really. Um, so we were all in the van. I'm giving you guys a little sneak peek of, of what happened there. We're all in the van, and uh, just spoiler alert, that's going to happen every week. Somebody's getting thrown out of the van. And so anyway, we're all in the van, and the videographer looks at us, and he says, uh, all right, we're done filming. All we've got to do is film the throwout scene now, you know, harking back to Fresh Prince days. And so, all right, who, who wants to go? And silence pierced the atmosphere. <laughs> And I thought, you know what? I'm youngest, man. I'll do it. No problem. Bad move. Just telling you right now, bad move. Because I jump out. I get thrown out of the van. I jump out. And there is no mattress. This is not professional filming. There is no padded fall. We just jump out. On the, we did pull off into the grass. We're not very smart. We're a bunch of bastards. But we, so there's no padding. Anyway, we jump out. And, and I jump out, and he was like, oh. So what? Take two. Didn't realize you would jump that far. What's that supposed to mean? Anyway, so then he does it again. Oh, I didn't have the angle right. It needs to be a little higher. Oh, hey, let's try yell. Ah, oh, that didn't work well. Let's try no yell. I jumped out of that van five times. So I come to you today hobbled and injured, but your laugh somewhat made it worth it. Anyway, um, if you couldn't tell, we're in a brand new sermon series called Faves. And uh, kind of the whole idea behind this is we really believe that, uh, that you as a congregation, you as a church will be blessed by having an opportunity to not just hear one voice all the time. Uh, the other members of our preaching team uh, are seasoned veteran guys. They are very good at what they do. And so we wanted you to be blessed. We wanted you to have an opportunity uh, to hear from them, our senior pastor, be able to visit all the locations, that kind of thing. And so as you could tell, we are hitting the road this summer. And, uh, and I'm really excited about being able to do that. And I'm more excited because I feel like you guys are going to be blessed. So listen. Don't miss the next three weeks. I'm just telling you right now, you do not want to miss because these pastors are going to be dusting off some of their favorite sermons. Uh, I don't have the library they do, so I got the opportunity to write my favorite sermon. So any feedback you have is appreciated, maybe, just depends on how mean it is. But anyway, so, uh, so really am excited about this series before we jump into the message, I want to take a moment and recognize we have a group of young men here today with us, Potter's baseball team. Am I, is that right? Potter's baseball team. You guys are a group, and they are from all over Pennsylvania, just all, all over. And every summer, you guys just go like this. If I start getting some details wrong, I'm going to tell you guys probably more than I know here, but every summer they do... Uh, 30 to 35 days of service, and they visit different cities and towns, and their heart is just to go in and be a blessing. And so they are in Mount Olive today and for a couple days, and they have been working, and they will continue to do service projects. And so we are just so grateful. I want to tell you something. Young men your age deciding, Pastor Ivan said it earlier, 
your greatest resource is time. And for you guys to say, you know what, I'm going to give up some of my time when I could be at home, I could be on the ball field, I could be practicing, I could be playing Fortnite, I don't know, whatever it is. You could be doing all these different things, and yet you are, you're serving. You're, you're doing something that's bigger than yourself, something that will live on far after you are gone. And so church, can we just give it up for these guys? <clears throat> Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing for the town. We appreciate you guys, and uh, we have the opportunity to feed them. This afternoon, we're going to feed these guys lunch, so we need you to give big. No, I'm just kidding with you. No, we've got it covered, but man, they look hungry. Good <laughs> gracious. All right. <clears throat> I want to talk to you today on the topic of being still. Being still. Over and over again in Scripture, God tells us, be still, stand still. Sometimes he says it to a group of people. Other times he, tells it, he says that to individuals. But almost every time God says that, the reason is because he wants to speak. God wants to move, and he wants their full attention. God is about to do something, and he wants to make sure that that person or that group of people don't miss it, that they don't miss it. And so we're going to be talking about being still, being still or standing still. And so when I think about that, when I think about that God says that over and over again in scripture, and then I look at our culture today, we in 2019 hate to stand still, don't we? My goodness. I think about this. My wife and I went on a little road trip earlier this summer standstill traffic. Oh, we hate it. We downloaded an app before we left. We saw on the interstate traffic's coming up. They're backed up for about four miles. Let's take a detour. We ended up on a dirt road because honest to goodness, we were going to Florida and we ended up on a dirt road because that's how much we did not want to be in standstill traffic. We don't like it. I think about standing still in line at Walmart or at the DMV or wherever it is. What do we immediately do? Pull out our phone and start sending emails, start sending texts. We turn that line into a virtual workspace because we got to get stuff done. We're not going to stand still. A couple months ago, uh, some guys from the team, or excuse me, some guys from the church wanted to put a basketball team together. And so we played in the Mount Olive Parks and Rec Adult Men's Basketball League. And we did not do well. <laughs> About midway through the season, I got injured. I went down. I don't know what it was. I took a shoulder. There was a guy who was about 6'5", and he put his shoulder right. I don't know if it was a bruised sternum or a cracked rib. I don't know what it was. But my goodness, I couldn't sleep right. I felt like I couldn't even hardly walk. And so there was a period of time where I just had to be still. Well, during those few weeks after that, there was games. And so I would go to the games to support the team, can I tell you something? I hated it. 
As much as I love being active and doing stuff, playing sports, I absolutely hated it. It felt like punishment because the thing I wanted to do was I wanted to be out there with the team. But I knew if I don't get still, I'll never get better. And so I knew I had to be still. Here's what I'm telling you. We don't like standing still. I don't like being still. But what's more than that, we're not even good at it. We're not good at it. You know how I know that? Because I officiate weddings. And one of the first things I have to do at a rehearsal dinner is say, hey, bridesmaids, groomsmen, listen, guys, we're going to be standing still for a little while tomorrow. You're going to want to make sure you bend your knees, get some blood flow. Why? Why do I have to say that? Because you can go to YouTube this afternoon if you would like a laugh. If you're like, I haven't laughed, just belly laughed in a while. What you can do, log on to YouTube and type in wedding falls. It's hilarious. I mean, these videos go viral. It's especially funny around like a body of water. They'll fall in a lake. Or, but these people, you start to see them lean and then they topple over and it is like a tree falling. These people, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking when they fall downstairs at a church or something. But we're not even good at standing still. We don't like it. We don't do it. But the difference I want to make here, and I'm kind of turning a corner, is today and for the rest of our time together, I'm not just talking about physically standing still. More so, I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually standing still, learning how to be still. Why? Because I believe wholeheartedly God wants to speak to you. We, we've already said it. God is our Father in heaven. One of the names he tells us, we can call him Abba Father. He is our God in heaven. Now you think about this. If you have kids or all of us have parents, what do we want to do as parents? We want to talk to our kids. And if we're ever separated for any you know, prolonged length of time, what are we doing? We're calling, we're video chatting. We are wanting to be in communication with our kids. Well, there's a place in Scripture where it says if we as earthly fathers or as, if we as earthly parents, if we know how to give good gifts, how much more so our heavenly father? If, if there's a desire for us to want to talk to our kids, how much more so does God want to desire, how much more so does he desire to speak to us? He wants to speak to us. He wants to show up in our lives. He wants to move on our behalf. But the question becomes, will I be still? Will I stand still so that God can speak? I heard this this morning. Pastor Ivan shared. There's another pastor. He says this. God could yell. God could get your attention. Make no mistake about it. God could yell at you today and get a point across. But you know what he does? He whispers in that still small voice because he wants us to lean in. He wants us to get close to him to be still and to really lean in to hear what it is he has to say. We can't do that 
when we're always worried about, I got to go, I got to move, I got to. So I'm talking about being still. I'm talking about standing still. And I want to show you this in a couple different places in Scripture. I've got two examples with the children of Israel. And then we're going to kind of round out our time together today by looking at an encounter between Samuel and Saul. So if you have your Bibles and you want to uh, go ahead and open those, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Let me set the stage for you, tell you what's going on. The children of Israel are the apple of God's eye. They are in Egyptian captivity. So the Israelites are in Egypt and they are slaves for the Egyptians. God taps Moses on the shoulder, sends him a burning bush, and he says, Moses, I want you to go and rescue my people. Take them to the promised land. You're supposed to be the deliverer. I'm gonna, you're going to be the leader of this movement. And I'm glossing over so much. Read the first part of Exodus. But, but eventually, Moses goes and he appears before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, absolutely not. You're not taking all the slaves. There's no way. And then God sent a plague. And Pharaoh comes to Moses and says, okay, okay, you can have the people. Just pray to God that this plague would end. And so Moses prays, the plague ends. Pharaoh changes his mind. God sends another plague. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Ten plagues happen. Finally, on the tenth plague, the plague of the firstborn, Pharaoh says, okay, enough. Go, get out of here. And so off the children, of, uh, the children of Israel go. They're marching out. And scripture tells us that they make it to Ethium. They make it to the edge of the desert. And then this happens. Beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to read those next two words. Turn back. Tell the Israelites to turn back. You, you ever been going somewhere and had to turn around? Oh, it is so frustrating. So frustrating. And so God tells the children of Israel, turn back and encamp near Pihiroi between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now I want you to notice these are very specific instructions. God directs his people exactly where he wants them to go. That's going to become important in just a few moments. Keep reading. Verse 3. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. One of the mistakes we make when we read Scripture is we think because we know that they knew. We're in on the plan. We just got behind the scenes access. We heard what Moses heard. So we know the plan. Moses knows the plan. God knows the plan. The Israelites, they don't know the plan. And depending on which theologian you read behind, there were at least hundreds of thousands of Israelites. Some say up to two million, but let's just be safe and say hundreds of thousands. 
There's no microphone. There's no PA system. There is no way to broadcast this message. And so all they know is we're following this new guy. We know that he can call on God. We know God can do plagues, but he's not real good at directions because the first place we go, we have to turn back. That's all they know. Well, God is working, and we're going to skip down to verse 10, but what happens in those next few verses is that Pharaoh does exactly what God said he would do. Pharaoh begins to pursue the Israelites. He comes after them. Scripture tells us he comes out with 600 of his best chariots. Then there are some other chariots. So apparently Pharaoh had some like Cadillac chariots, and then there were some hoopty chariots. And the inexperienced guys got those. And then there's horsemen and there's foot soldiers. Anyway, the point is, this massive army, Egyptian army, marches out. And they're marching out to get the Israelites. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the, Egypt, to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is not exactly the cry of faith, is it? These people are absolutely terrified. Remember, they don't know the plan. And so, ju just to put yourself in that scene, the geography of the region that they are in, they look in front of them, and there is the Red Sea. And there's no way we can get across that because they had all their belongings, their children, they had it all with them. So here's the Red Sea, can't go that way. They look right, there's a mountain range. Look left, there's a mountain range. And on these mountain ranges, there's not even cave, there's, there's no real good places to hide. The only way out was the way that they had come in. And now here come Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, bearing down on them. Oh my goodness, we're trapped. They are scared. That's why they're so terrified. That's why they begin to accost Moses. You're, you brought us out here to die, dude. What are you doing? Because they felt trapped. Here's what I know about human nature. It has not really changed much, if at all, since this time thousands of years ago. And when we feel trapped, Something in our brain starts pinging. Got to do something. We, we got to do something. Right or wrong, we got to do something. Scientists say fight or flight. You, you guys heard that before? Fight or flight. When you back me in a corner, either I'm looking for an escape route, okay, or, you know, hey, come on, let's go. Fight or flight, we got to do something. But look at the plan God gives them. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. Other translations uh, translate it, stand still. Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. God reassures the Israelites, I'm going to do something. I'm about to move. And that brings me to point number one. Stand still. See God working. Stand still. See God working. These Israelites, remember, they're trapped. Red Sea, mountain, mountain, army. Nowhere for them to go. Nothing for them to do. Their situation is hopeless in every sense of the word. They have already told Moses, we're going to die. That's it. We're just going to die right here in the desert. There's no hope for us. And to make matters worse, here's the part we don't talk about all that often. God led them there. I mean, it's not like they got lost and they wandered into this valley. Do you remember a few verses earlier? God said, uh, now between Piharoi and Migdal and the sea, that's exactly where I want you to be. God, why would you bring us here? Why would you bring us here to die? What are you doing? Can I tell you, there's some of you that feel like that right now. You're going through a situation that looks hopeless. But that does not, that is not evidence that God has left you or forsaken you or that you've done something wrong. It could be evidence that you are in exactly the place that God has called you to be. That was their experience. I believe God led them there for two reasons primarily. There may be many others, but two reasons primarily. Number one, because God wanted to grow their faith. I want you to think about faith like a muscle. These guys on this baseball team, they can tell you, you work out, what happens? Muscle gets bigger, doesn't it? You work out, you stay in the gym, you get stronger, the muscle gets bigger. All of a sudden, weight that once was impossible now is possible. So faith is like a muscle. God knew, I'm getting ready to take them into the desert. They're going to have to trust me for their daily bread. They're going to have to trust me for water. Everything about their situation for the next little bit is all going to depend on me, and their faith needs to grow. I believe the other reason God did this, God puts them in this situation that looks hopeless, the situation where they feel trapped, is because he wanted to completely rid them of their enemies. Imagine the inner turmoil of constantly being in the desert and having to feel like, well, I've got to look over my shoulder. I wonder if today is the day that Egyptians are going to come after us. I wonder if today's the day we're going to have to fight for our family. And so God gets them to this situation. And, and here's what happens. The Israelites go through the Red Sea on dry ground. God parts the waters. The Israelites go right through. The Egyptians go through. They're going after them. And the waters come back. Drowned, wiped out, completely gone. God completely ridded them of their enemies that day. God did more than they ever could have thought or imagined in that moment. But it had to look bad first. It, it got to a situation where it looked bad, where it looked hopeless. And he taught the people, you need to learn how to stand still. To stay right where you are. I was talking to a lifeguard the other day. And uh, 
just, I don't know why my brain works this way. I just began to ask him, have you had to do any rescues? Tell me about some of those. And what he told me was, yeah, I've had to do a couple rescues. For two, I even had to get in the water. Well, now I'm curious, like, wait, what? How do you rescue and not get in? I thought you, that was part of the deal. And he said, no, no, no. Actually, the best way, we're taught that the best way to rescue someone, they've got this pole, you can reach out to the person, or they, you throw them a life ring. You try to rescue that person without getting in the water. Well, now I'm hooked. Okay, well, t- why? You know, tell me. He said, because a distressed swimmer, it's just human nature. Again, earlier, what I say, when you're trapped, when you feel distressed, you just want to do something. And so he said that one of the things that happens is when a, sh- a swimmer is distressed, they will grab onto whatever it is that they can find and they will push it down so that they can go to the air for oxygen, so they can go to surface for oxygen. And if that just happens to be a lifeguard that they're pushing down, you know, so be it. Because they want, they don't care. They, they want to save themselves. And he said, so very quickly, you can get into a situation where now there's, now there's two victims. And so we, in, in lifeguard training, they're actually taught evasive maneuvers and how to get out. If somebody latches onto you, what do you do? And so I said, well, what happened? What do you do when you get in the water? How do you tell them, you know, how do you tell them not to do that? He said, well, when we start approaching them, the thing we do is we begin to yell out, I'm a lifeguard. I'm here to help. Be still. Calm down. Be still. Wow. Okay. What if that doesn't work? I'm just, you know, 21 questions. What else? He's just sitting there looking at kids in the pool. So I'm asking him all these questions. I said, well, what do you do if they don't? He said, well, we have to let them struggle until they get to a point where they lose their energy and they can be still. I was telling Pastor Jim about this illustration. I said, man, isn't that, isn't that amazing that that's what has to happen? You have to be still and then rescue comes. And pastor Jim, our senior pastor, was telling me that back in the day they trained a little bit different. What happened was back in the day, you would tell someone to be still. And if they didn't get still, mama said, knock you out. You got to get still. Are you kidding me? He was like, I'm serious, man. Because it's better to get to the pool deck alive with a bloody nose than to drown and nothing be wrong with your face. We've got to save. At that point, it's about saving a life. Well, they don't teach you to do that quite like that anymore. But you have to be still. There is rescue that can come your way in a swimming pool, but you got to be still. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, there is rescue that will come your way in your life. But we have to, we have to learn to be still. We have to learn to be still. A little bit later in the story, of the children of Israel, actually 40 years later, so quite a bit later. We've now gone through the whole book of Exodus, and now God has tapped a new leader. Here comes Joshua on the scene. He's the new guy, the new leader, and God is going to do a familiar miracle to establish this new leader. He's going to part the waters of the Jordan River, 
And that is going to be a symbol and a sign for all of the children of Israel. Hey, you can trust Joshua because he is my man for the hour. And Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land. But God did it a little bit differently this time. This time, God said, all right, I want the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and they are going to walk into the edge of the water. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of God's presence. It's the symbol of God's presence. They're to walk to the edge of the water, and when they do, the waters are going to heap up in two different, in two different areas, and all the children of Israel will be able to walk through the riverbed on dry ground. Let me read it to you. Joshua chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle. They remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua, listen to this. The people hurried over. And as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. I want to bring out two different things in these two verses. The first is that the ark of God stayed in the middle. But the, pre, the, the children of Israel, they hurried across. They went into the riverbank, into the riverbed, through the riverbed, and out of the riverbed as quickly as possible. The reason they did that is because they knew if for some reason this miracle, this miracle fails or falters or something happens, we'll be swept away. And so the quicker you can get you and all of your things and all of your family through there, the better. But where did God stay the whole time? God was right in the middle. Guys, I want to encourage you today. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care, care how dark it looks, how big the storm is in your life. God is right there in the middle of that time with you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He goes through your darkest days with you. It may not always feel like he's close, but I promise you, he's always right there. The other thing I want to highlight is, Think about these priests. So everybody else is hurrying through. What are they doing? They're standing still. They are just standing there in the middle of that riverbed. And the thing that that shows me is sometimes standing still is a posture of active faith. That sometimes the, the greatest thing we can do, the greatest evidence of our faith is being still. So when I say be still or stand still, I'm not talking about laying on the couch, watching Netflix, eating Cheetos, okay? I'm not talking about resting or taking a nap. I am talking about a posture of active faith. So number two, stand still, demonstrate your faith. That's another way to say it, demonstrate your faith. Go back with me really quick. The Egyptian exodus. Moses is leading the children of Israel out. Remember that point? They're at the edge of the sea, mountain, mountain, army. Standing still was the greatest act of faith they could have done. It was the greatest demonstration of their faith. 
God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to move, but we trust you. Their very lives were on the line. And by standing still, they were demonstrating their faith. Let me give you number three very quickly. Stand still, stand still, hear God speaking. Stand still, hear God speaking. I want to show you an encounter with Samuel and Saul. Samuel was the prophet of God. This was before Jesus. This is in the Old Testament. And so God didn't speak to people individually at that time. God spoke through prophets. And then the prophets would proclaim to the people what the word of the Lord was. Samuel was the prophet. Saul is a nobody. He's just an average guy. And he comes to uh, Samuel, and this happens. 1 Samuel 9.27 As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us so that he may pass by. But you, there's our two words, but you stand still now so that I may proclaim the word of God to you. The word of God that Samuel was talking about is the day before God had told Samuel, now tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send you a guy and I have proclaim that he is going to be the new king. Israel was begging for a king, and now God is going to give them what they've been asking for. And so he had told Samuel, and now Samuel is getting ready to proclaim the word of the Lord to Saul. But first, he needed him to get into a posture where he could hear it. So he says, send the servant ahead, and you need to stand still, because I'm going to say some things that God told me, and you're going to want to make sure you catch every part of this. What I love so much about this is that Saul had no idea. He was, you know why he was there? He was looking for his dad's donkeys. The donkeys had run off. They were lost. Saul's out looking for them. He's just being faithful right where God called him to be, doing exactly what God had called him to do. And God intervenes. He shows up in his life. He speaks a word to him. But Samuel said, first, you need to get still because you're going to want to make sure you catch all this. Last thing I want to tell you in closing. When I get still, it's an invitation for God to get busy. I know I had three points. If you can't remember all those, this is the thing I hope that you write down. I hope you take away, take a picture of the screen, whatever you need to do. Let this be our reminder. When I stand still, it's an invitation for God to get busy. He wants to speak to us. He wants to move in our life. Will we be still? Will we allow, will we draw close to him? Will we get near to him? And I'll tell you the baseline for all this. It almost goes without saying, but I want to say it. The baseline for every single thing I'm saying is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, all the rest of this is secondary. All the rest of this is secondary. 
Are you sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? If you're not, I want to tell you, we're going to have some prayer workers in the altar. We want to pray with you. We won't keep you long, I promise. We just want to pray with you, and we want to put a book in your hands. So I want to encourage you. Don't let whoever's next to you dissuade you. Don't worry about what people might think. Don't worry about lunch. or If you need to get serious with God, you're going to have an opportunity today. Let me pray for all of us. Then I'll dismiss and then we're going to have prayer in this altar. Okay? Let's pray, guys. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I, I don't like being still. And I don't know if this word was for anyone else, but I know it was for me. In a world that is all about what's new and what's next and more productivity and getting more done and sleeping less and drinking more caffeine so you can be productive longer. I just, we are bent toward busy. God, I pray that today you would grab a hold of our hearts and that you would help us to recognize the value of being still. Really, God, when we won't be still, it reveals that we trust more in our ability to do things than we trust in your ability to do things whenever we get still. So God, I pray that you would convict us of that. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would move in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to learn how to trust you and be still. Lord, I pray for each and everyone under the sound of my voice. Bless them, give them a good week, and bring them back safely next week. Pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.